We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues and hosts, incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Somebody sounding all proper today. You must have had a good night's rest. How you feel? I am good, my friend. How about you? I'm wonderful. So listen, I I don't watch football. Uh, You know that. It's been since 2013 since I've watched a football game. But I was watching one of my favorite podcasts, which is I Am Athlete. And they brought up the name of a person I had never heard of before. I want to know if you know the name Pat McAfee. Oh, God, yeah. He's a cult. Ah, See, I knew it. I knew (laughs) knew it. I knew it. Now, let me tell you. Don't watch football. Had never heard of him before. He joined, apparently, the league a couple of years before I stopped watching football. But now he has an incredible podcast and show. And so I went to his Twitter feed, and he's got a video up top, Jay. He gave away almost like, I don't know, like five, six million dollars. Did you see? Have you seen that? Um, No, but he is known around Indianapolis for his generosity. Let me just say this to you, to all of our listeners out there. The reason I bring this up is because there are only just a few jealous bones in my body. Let Let me just be really, really clear. Normally, I'm not jealous of people and their success, their walk in life, the things that they are doing. I'm normally celebrating them. And in this case, I am absolutely celebrating that giving back. Like when, when, I, when I watched that 20 minute video, I said he could get me as a listener just through his generosity because he signed such an incredible podcast deal with whomever. He turned around and said, I'm going to just give to my employees, to various community groups, organizations. That's the power of growing your listenership. And so I I know Jay and I are not talking about crazy culture stuff and we're not talking about sports like that. We may not have millions of followers on the platform. I just want you all to know as listeners, you are important to how we are able to do what it is that we do. Love what he's doing. And I can only tell you, Jay, I'd love for us to one day be in um, a modicum of that position where we can turn around and bless people in our industry and in professional quarters, whatnot. I just had to start the show with that. I loved it. Yeah, well, one really cool thing about Pat McAfee is he's such an example of he's he was a pretty wild child when he first came into the league and he played for the Colts. There are some really funny stories about him swimming in the creek at Broader Bowl and just a little bit of a maniac. And he has grown into this what I think is 
probably a very fine human being and, and why it's important not to discount people for the mistakes that they make in the past because we grow and change. And I think he's a great example of that. I firmly agree. And he actually mentioned a bit of that in the video. So for those of you who are not familiar with him, you can mosey on over to Twitter and you can take a look at the, I think it's like a 20 minute video and you can see it for yourself. Speaking of pay, uh, New York city council, they voted for pay transparency. I know you like that story. Yeah. When I first read it, I was like, okay, so New York city employees are getting pay transparency. We have that in the state of Indiana government, but this actually applies to, um, public and private sector jobs. So if you have a job in New York City, you must on your job advertisement put in the pay. And now all pay will be public. Yeah, just to clarify what Jay is saying, if you are an employer and you have more than four people employed in your organization, anytime you post a job advertisement uh, on one of the social media platforms, on your website, in the newspaper, you have to put the minimum and the maximum salary. It doesn't apply to housekeeping positions, if I'm not mistaken, because I think it already applied to them, if I, if I understand it correctly. But it was a unanimous, it was an almost unanimous vote, if I'm not, four, 41 to 7, close to unanimous. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just think this is great. And it's just such a like important time to remember and reiterate how pay transparency um, helps to eliminate discrimination in how women are paid, how people with disabilities are paid, how people of different race and ethnicities are paid, because it is known, right? It creates a banding system. It's like the U.S. military. It's like a lot of state governments, a lot of federal government positions where there are really those caps. Um, but it's also just good for business, right? Um, People who um, have pay tra transparency within their organization are 110%. I don't even know how that's possible, but this is according to a study by Buffer, 110% more likely to remain with their company. Yeah. Um, so we we found something over. Well, it, it won't be a we. Honestly, it was a you. <laughs> you found a story over there titled No More Working for Jerks. Um, and basically I, I, I read through it. I got to tell you, Jay, I read through it. You know, it was on the New York times. I read through it and I said, you know, well, okay. I like the title. No more working for jerks, you know, but if we just had to make it simple, it's just like how not to lead. Right. What yes. wasn't that what it was about? Like yeah. how not to lead. Yeah, absolutely. So um, really kind of focused on um, the, the former leader founder of Better.com, which is like a mortgage site, how you find good mortgages, um, who started off sort of in this heyday sort of startup, you know, tech company, free stuff, beer, pool, blah, 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 blah. And then really turned this corner of, of berating on a regular basis his employees. Um, pause, 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 I have no problem even with my current team. Like we will get on a call and we'll say like, this is some bullshit or, you know, like, yo, for real like you, you really lagging 
in the business development or in the demand generation, like get your shit in order. Come on. You know, like, and we do that. We have those conversations. I did it with my team, you know, when I was in corporate America and I believe Julie, that no one felt like I was talking directly to them, that I was talking to the atmosphere, to the process, to the day to day that I absolutely love them. So I, I don't think that, I guess when you say he was berating people, did you get the feeling from the article that he was actually berating people individually? Um, I don't know if it was individually. Didn't really talk about his one-to-one leadership style. But if you kind of call a town hall and say, hey, I think you guys are stealing from me because you're not working hard enough. You're not putting in enough hours. Um, Profanity-laced company-wide sort of tirade. I think there's a difference when you say like, dude, this is some bullshit. And then you go on it profanity, you know, tirade, um, so much that people had to mute the phones and excuse, you know, anyone else from the room because we were working at home. It was, it was during a pandemic. And I think there's a really fine line between candor, right? Mm -hmm. Leading with candor, which I a hundred percent believe in. I think really what you're talking about is, is letting people always know where they stand and what your expectations are and what they need to do better in a straightforward way that they can understand and just being an asshole. Like there's a difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There is a difference. And again, for those of you not familiar, better.com, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was early December or late, maybe it was in November, but he let like 900 people go via zoom, something like that. Like it was a really, really big number of people. And, and I know as the year of 2021 ended, uh, the CEO Vishal Garg, G-A-R-G, Vishal uh, Garg had taken maybe a leave of absence. Um, I think he probably needed to kind of get himself together. But um, I guess it's just one of those stories, especially since we're starting off early in the year, that leadership really is about, it's not so much so around who's can be the meanest and I don't know. I I guess you can get a lot done without being an asshole. That's that's just what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, and you don't have to be you can be nice and not be a pushover. You can care and still have expectations. And I just think like the day of sort of like I'll I'll compare it for on sports again, right? Sort of the Bobby Knight style of coaching where you just um rule with an iron fist or rule by ridicule and demeaning constantly. Those days are over. That doesn't mean we've gone soft or anything else, but you don't have to spend your life, which is really, at least in America, the the vast majority of our weeks are spent working uh, with an asshole. And there are options. Yeah. And it, I think, just speaks to continued empowerment of the, the employee and the job seeker. And that as companies, we're still not teaching people how to lead. I think a lot of times we're teaching them how not to lead. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Now, you mentioned a moment ago, kind of knowing where a person stands and uh, Citigroup's CEO, Jane Frazier, uh, she's holding fast and steady. Uh, So basically, I think they have like until January 14th Mm -hmm. to upload into the system that they uh, employees have been vaccinated and that if they uh, don't upload that documentation into the system, they're going to be on paid leave and they have until I think it's paid leave. But point being, 
they will be on some sort of leave and then they have until January 31st to get vaccinated. And if they're not vaccinated, uh, as it stands right now, their employment with Citigroup is going to come to an end. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly generous of her to give them this much time. Um, there's, We still obviously have a case in front of the court, but right now, the I believe the OSHA mandate went into effect on January 4th, um, requiring the, the employers with uh, or employers with 100 or more employees to put a vaccine or testing mandate into place. Um, it, it just it, to me, I think it's it, I think it's very generous that she's allowing them to go on leave and to have some even more time to think upon their yeah. ability to care for one another. So so here's where I'm a bit confused. Um I'm a little confused because there was something in uh, Fortune magazine that said that more than 90 percent of U.S. employees have been vaccinated. Now, I know we're only talking about Citigroup. I don't know how many inside of Citigroup that are not vaccinated. I know if we're looking at full employment in the U.S., that's a number right around 140, 150 million somewhere in their neighborhood. So if I look at 90% of that, what we're talking about is something in the neighborhood of 10 to 30 million employees that have not been vaccinated. Of course, some of them being inside of Citigroup. So I struggle with these numbers. And this is one of those instances where I always caution people to to have a, I don't want to say a loose and untrusting relationship, but to just kind of keep it in perspective when we are seeing some of these numbers, data, just just have a, a loose perspective relationship with the data. Because again, if 90% of US employees are vaccinated, then this really should be like a non-starter, a non-issue. It should be. It should be a non-starter. It should be a non-issue. And, and it should have been a non-starter and a non-issue months ago. How um, well, hold on, but that was before, that was before these, well, let's just say Omicron. I won't say various variants. Let's just okay. be very specific about Omicron. And we saw in the uh, Wall Street Journal, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, um, and this is not coming from, you know, some crackpot scientists. This is coming from a Nobel Peace Prize winner. His name is Luke Montagne. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that name correctly. They co he co-wrote a piece. Luke Montagne and Jed Rubenfeld wrote a piece on January 9th of this year. And basically, they said that the best policy might be to let Omicron run its course while protecting the most vulnerable naturally Im immunizing the vast majority against COVID through infection by a relatively benign strain. Basically saying, lift the vaccine mandates. It's not working. The vaccine is not necessarily preventing. It's certainly keeping people from dying and being as sick, but it's not preventing people from catching it. So they were like, why are we, why are we having vaccine mandates? And these are, this is a Nobel Peace Prize winner. So again, there is argument out there that I think we should be considering. Let me just say that. So obviously I have not won a Nobel Prize currently. Um, 
Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But you so. did sit. You did sit at the UN. I got the picture on my phone to prove it. So I did. I did. Okay, keep um, going. And I think that is actually kind of what leads me to my argument against one is that we're not protecting the most vulnerable. And you and I are going to talk about that in the main story of our uh, of our show this this episode. Um, and when we're talking about naturally immune immunization, natural immunization, like if we were at maybe like a 90 percent actual vax rate in this in this country or in this world like i could be like yeah maybe that makes sense but when two percent of africa is vaccinated and um what 65 percent of americans 70 percent of americans are vaccinated like we can't get to herd immunity at that rate like polio wasn't you know uh, obliterated or whatever eliminated through herd immunity that's smallpox same thing it's because we put vaccine mandates into place and people still did get it but they died less and that's what we're seeing in the data right is that like 0.003% chance of dying from covid regardless of the strain if you have your vaccine and your booster um so why you know why just let it run its course unless the goal here is just to make sure that the economy stays on track and that we are um, assuming that everyone who's able and worth our time um, can do what the fuck they want to do. <laughs> yeah, but here's the funny part. The economy isn't on track. you like, you know, it, it doesn't matter how we look at it, whether because, again, I still firmly believe that we messed up last year. Or, I'm sorry, in 2020, definitely last year. When we just didn't simply lock things down seriously for some, I don't want to use the word significant, but we didn't lock things down, limit people's movement in a way that was substantial. It, I think if we would have done that, I think we, I, I just, I, I just yeah. think that we might be in a different place. I think the longest was like 30 days, three weeks, something like that. And, you know, you're going to places like Spain, places where you went like these, they're doing months. Yeah, they were doing months of lockdown. And so I, I just don't think that we took it serious enough. And now we are paying the price. Schools, you got children walking mm -hmm. out of schools over in California in New York today as of as of uh, our, our, our recording on Tuesday. Uh, students in New York City saying, you know what, we're walking out like so our and, and when students are walking out, then that's impacting parents, which mm -hmm. are impacting jobs, which are impacting our economy all across the board. So I just think that we can. And then we got a CDC that continues to move the goalposts changing that it, it's like all over the place. And so I just this is one of those stories that. um it is certainly not going to fade away anytime soon. It's going to remain in our news cycle and for good reason. Yes. And I think at the end of the day, if you can just stop being selfish, we have over a year's worth of data to just go get the jab and get it done. And you're able to, which is 99% of us, then we wouldn't be having these conversations, right? We're having these conversations because people refuse to go and do what is best for themselves and what is best for their neighbors. And Absolutely. that sucks. So yeah. another, I laughed at this story because did I did you? this every day. This next <laughs> story. Oh, oh 
I'm so I'm so I'm so 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 glad that this one landed for you and that you took it and you started it because you know I like people to be able to tell their own story. So go ahead, you yeah. laugh. Okay. Talk about that. Talk about so, that. Uh, so a Honda uh, dealer in Covington, Louisiana, agreed to pay the sum or a settlement for a lawsuit brought against or by excuse me by the EEOC that alleged just. Dis- disability discrimination. So a woman got $100,000 in the settlement um, when her former employer, Honda of Covington, said she needs to stop taking her ADHD medicine, her prescribed ADHD medicine. And then to make sure that she did, holy shit, made her take a drug test. And then, <laughs> welcome to my brain. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I want you to do the whole thing. Keep going. The boss says, hey, you don't seem like you're very focused on your job anymore. No shit. No shit. <laughs> and then they fire her. Yep. Hey, what? Like, I don't even know what's in people's brains. I've had some conversations in the last couple of weeks with some potential companies that are coming out with disability solutions. And like, people just do not get how mental health and mental illness works. You can't just stop, stop taking that shit. Sometimes yeah. even when you do, your brain's still all the, over the place. And yeah, so, yeah. yes. And, and let me say this to you. You know, uh, Jay gave the skinny version of the story, but that really is... The way that the article, like you can read 5,000 words, you can read 500 words. The article really was just that simple. Her supervisor asked her to stop taking her medicines. She complied. They made her take a drug test and then they fired her before the drug test results even came back. And it's like so incredibly wild. And here's why I put the story in. Yes, I smiled about it. But it is a serious matter. And considering how people are going through the pandemic and so many other of life's issues right now, we cannot minimize the importance of mental health. We cannot minimize the presence of people in our workplaces that have mental uh, issues, challenges, scenarios, circumstances. We cannot minimize that. So while we are, you know, smiling and trying to have some fun around this story, the seriousness of that is mental health is something that we should not play with. All right. Perfect way to end it. Let's go to our ad break for this week and I'll see you on the other side. Beautiful thing. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. So, um... I learned my lesson in Q, um, Q4 of 2021. And that lesson was be slow to tweet. So I was very slow to tweet, faster on the copy and paste. 
And so I copied the hashtag, my disability life is worthy. I copied that hashtag and I sent it over to our dear friend, Matt Stubbs in uh, London. I shared it with a couple of uh, other friends um, here in the U.S. Uh, and I got some feedback from them. And, and then I dropped the hashtag in our show sheet and I said, we're, we're going to talk about this one. So for the listener, once again, the hashtag is my disability life is worthy. Now, that was almost a week ago, but certain if you put it in, you'll be able to find n a number of threads of commentary, sentiment, feedback. I personally don't think that I'm going to get any new friends on this segment. But I just want to say to all of you, I'm going to still speak my piece and we're going to see where this where the chips fall in this one. And we'll do that after we listen to the comments from the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Uh, she's on Twitter at CDC director. She was on Good Morning America on the 7th. It's about two, two and a half minutes in, in, in duration. So just bear with us. Listen to the full clip. And then Julie and I are going to discuss our respective positions, thoughts and opinions on what was said. Joining us this morning is the director of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Dr. Walensky, I want to dive right in. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, your agency, you know this, is facing a lot of criticism over these new uh, guidelines over isolation and not requiring a five-day test to get out of those, those isolations. Uh, the American Medical Association is saying, going as far as saying they're not only confusing, but they risk spreading this virus even further. Are, are they wrong? Let me just clarify and say isolation. We talk about isolation in the context of people who've been who've had a positive test, who know that they are infected. And we have now dozens of studies referenced on the CDC website that have demonstrated that you are most infectious in the two to, in the one to two days before your symptoms and the two to three days after your symptoms. So by five days after your symptoms, the vast majority of your contagiousness is really behind you. And what we say at day five then is, are your symptoms gone? Are you feeling better? Is your cough gone, sore throat gone? And if so, then it is safe to go out if you are wearing a mask all the time. And that means um, not going out to restaurants, not going out to gyms, not going in visiting grandma, but really uh, conscientiously wearing your mask for those last five days. Now, some have said that they are interested in using an antigen or a home test um, at the end of those five days. And if people are interested and have access, then they may choose to take that extra step and do that antigen test. We've provided some guidance as to how to interpret that. And that means that if that test is positive, you may choose to, you should stay home for those extra five days. But if that test is negative, you should go out and continue to wear your mask. Now, I've read the AMA statement and I have deep respect for the AMA, but I will also say we've um, heard a lot of support for our ongoing guidance from public health partners, from other clinical and laboratory partners as well. But as part of the consideration in not requiring a five, a, a negative test after these five days, because there aren't enough tests to go around in this country? country. 
you know, we make these recommendations in the context of science, in the context of ongoing epidemiology, and in the context of what is feasible in collaboration with our public health and local um, and state public health partners. Um, and through that discussion um, and through the discussions um, within CDC with our own subject matter experts and with the FDA, um, we made the recommendation, you know, these tests are actually not authorized for the purpose of um, evaluating contagiousness. I want to ask you about those encouraging headlines that we're talking about this morning, this new study showing just how well vaccines are working to prevent severe illness. Given that, is it time to start rethinking how we're living with this virus, that it's potentially here to stay? You know, really important study, if I may just summarize it, a study of 1.2 million people who were vaccinated between December and October and demonstrated that severe disease occurred in about 0.015% of the people who are, um, received their primary series and death in 0.003% of those people. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. And yes, really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. This um, means not only just to get your primary series, but to get your booster series. Um, and yes, we're really encouraged um, by these results. Dr. Walensky, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Okay, so I obviously have the setup here, mm -hmm. but tell me what in this clip stood out to you. Why did you pick it? So I picked it because she said towards the end, 75% who are seriously ill or dying have four or more comorbidities people who are very unwell. And then she said a little bit more. I think she was stating a fact. I haven't done the research. I'm not watching the numbers. I'm taking her for her word. That 75% suggests that most of the people dying during this Omicron phase of the virus are suffering from three or more already comorbidities that's what stood out and then she said she was encouraged by that she said she was encouraged by that yes okay go ahead so, so that's what got the twitter handle that we're talking about my disability life is worthy and i actually was just checking in this morning it's still got action going on as of tuesday this week um and and that's the point so let me say, and this might get me in trouble, not make me any friends, but I'm, here we are together. Um, let, me, let me rephrase it in a way that might help it land a little bit more differently. 75% who are seriously ill or dying are black, people who are not very worthy. Okay. Uh, I mean, I does, hear you. Does that change the way that you feel about it? Is it okay that we die? And she's encouraged by that, but it's, it wouldn't be okay for her to say she's encouraged because of a um, smaller ethnicity or, or race dying at a higher rate. So see, here's where I, here's where, here's where I, I take issue with it. I take issue with it because I believe while her, her phrasing could have been better, 
you know, to say that I'm encouraged by that, it, it, it comes off as if, wow, I'm happy. It's the folks with four or more co- comorbidities that are dying. That's how it sounds. I certainly don't feel like she meant it that way. So I'm with you that she could have changed that, that that language could have been different. She could have said something to the effect of, you know, I'm absolutely encouraged by the fact that people that are healthy, people that have been, again, vaccinated, protecting themselves, they are experiencing minor, whatever the case may be. And and I don't want to go into too much semantic style because I feel like we're getting away from the hashtag. So I'm going to 1000% agree with you that the the encourage piece is problematic. Well, I, I think that's the point, right? Is that her words matter and she speaks on behalf of our government. Okay, but hold on. In the entire clip, she did not use the word disabled or the disability community. I looked at the guide for uh, the CDC around uh, comorbidities, and there are six of them. And so here's where I need a bit of your help. Okay. And I don't know if you know the answer, but because she didn't use the word disability or disabled community or phrase disabled community. Didn't, she didn't say anything around people with autism, people um, that were in a wheelchair, people that were paraplegic, people with mental illness. She didn't say that. Comorbidities like rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, and I can list them. Are the people in the disability community over-indexing in these comorbidities? Because I don't know that to be the case, but I don't so- know. Well, the general definition of a comorbidity is a um, disease or disability or um, illness that often occurs with another one. So I have ADHD. I also have comorbid anxiety, depression, and panic attacks, right? So those are things that are comorbid that co-happen with my mental illness. And so a person who has a spinal cord injury is more likely to have other illnesses, diseases, or disabilities that happen or co-occur and make them more vulnerable to infection, to death, than a person who doesn't have that. And so when she says comorbidities, she's talking about people who have disabilities like rheumatoid arthritis and might also have be wheelchair bound because of that rheumatoid arthritis, um, diabetes, people who may have lost a limb because of their diabetes, all of those things. And, and I'm being very, very general, but you're saying, but the use of the word comorbidities, especially complex, multiple comorbidities is really only talking about our community. It's not talking about any other race, gender, ethnicity. That it is people who have very significant disabilities. Ooh, That's wait a who minute. It is. Pa- pause. Wait a minute. Okay, so as I'm looking at this this sheet, and just just for our listeners out there, real quick, uh, diabetes, 
cardiovascular disease, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma, cancer, arthritis, um, hypertension, um, angina, heart disease, stroke, history of stroke. There's there's a couple of others. Are you saying to me, because again, this is where I wanted to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. are you saying when 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 you hear the word comorbidity, you don't feel like they're talking about a person like me. I might be overweight. And so if Torin is overweight, Torin also might suffer from hypertension. I might also suffer from something else. Are you suggesting when you just said that, that the use of the word comorbidity more often than not is talking about people in the disability community and and I'm able body and I'm still overweight versus people in the able community. Yes. Yes. So we're talking about the, the simultaneous presence of two or more diseases or medical conditions, right? That's the definition. And so obesity can be a comorbidity if you have a mobility disability, if you are a cancer survivor, if you have heart disease, like all of those things make you more vulnerable and you are a part of the community at that point, right? If it impacts a part of your major life functions, walking, talking, eating, working, having relations, all of those things, then it is. So she's talking about people with four or more those are going to be people with pretty significant um, vulnerabilities to COVID due to their underlying conditions, which are most likely to also have some sort of disability component with it. And so from the beginning, and if we just take it up to like away from like this kind of sort of semantics again, is that from the beginning of this pandemic, people with disabilities have been consciously and actively worked against to provide access to healthcare, to provide access to vaccines, to provide support and treatment for the COVID-19 disease because their disabilities make them less valuable than someone who is able-bodied. We saw that when Michigan and Arizona and Texas tried to put in um, clauses to their emergency treatment program that they could not treat people with significant disabilities with COVID-19. We saw that when Michael Hickson died because his doctor refused to treat him because he had disabilities that he didn't think were valuable, that gave him any value of life, that gave him any value as a human being. And so when our leaders and our government uses words that are actively and openly ableist, thoughtlessly, I don't think purposely, thought, thoughtlessly, they have to be called to account. It matters that people with four or more comor- comorbidities are dying. They're a hell of a lot more important and valuable, in my opinion, than the 30% of Americans who won't get a fucking shot because they are listening to news that isn't fake on or that isn't real on YouTube, right? We're doing our part. We have been active and engaged. In fact, I was thinking about this article um, that I read from Disability Rights Connecticut. You should follow them on Twitter. 
And it reports that the CDC says disabled adults were more likely to endorse the vaccine, um, but reported more difficulty in getting the vaccination than other adults without disabilities. In fact, the most vulnerable people in our country are often the last people to have access, right? So only 82.5% of people with disabilities have had one dose of the vaccine. And there are multiple um, kind of government helplines where they're getting tens of thousands of calls every single month from people with disabilities that are saying, I need to get to an accessible site. I can't leave my home. I need someone to come and give me the vaccine. Um, I tried to get a vaccine, but I can't get into physically get into a, a location where there is a vaccine because the vaccine site is not accessible. And so the words matter because we've seen those words put into action for the entirety of the last two years. Yeah. So when, when I sent the uh, hashtag over to, um, to Matt Stubbs uh, in London and shout out to you, Stubbsy, thank you so much for, you know, just being who you are, supporting Julie and I crazy in the King sharing, always retweeting, showing us articles. Uh, he hit me back with the response and, probably the first line in his response, uh, he said, this is a global phenomenon. He actually said that in the UK, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of at least three uh, DNR cases um, have been uncovered where doctors are actually, I don't want to say forging signatures, but doctors are making the determination very similar to the Michael Hickson case. Doctors are making the determination to not resuscitate individuals that are disabled absolutely not their decision um he goes on to say and talk about you know it really is uh, it's an issue and he said like two out of three people in the uk uh would have been that 75 percent i'm assuming he meant two out of three disabled people in the uk would have made up that 75 percent statistic here that she mentioned in terms of those that are dying. So it really was one of those things where honestly, it was a genuine listen for me. I said, I'm going to listen to this uh, because I only heard a clip the first time, like 20 seconds or something like that. Searched to find her entire comment, which is why we played it in its entirety. We didn't want you to think we were being hyperbolic or taking it out of um, taking it out of context. And I said, she didn't mention, so I need to learn. I need to, I need to understand why the hashtag is trending, popping the way that it's popping. And, and what I took away from this conversation and that pause in listening, just listening and not commenting, was there some room for me to grow? <laughs> There's always room for each other to grow. There was some room. Yeah, there was some room for me to grow. And I I had the chance to grow um, from Saturday until uh, until today. And I love that. Like, I absolutely love that that room to grow. You know, I was exchanging tweets with T. Tara Turk uh, Haynes on Twitter, and we were talking about intent versus impact. And, you know, my story around that intent versus impact uh, type thing. And, and, And I was just. You know, I said on Saturday or Sunday when I sent this tweet out, if you have good intent, don't don't become a shrieking violet. Your impact may be wrong. It may have offended. It may have hurt. It may have been ill timed. But if you have good intent, 
please don't become a shrinking violet, which is the reason why I wanted to do the story, because I know my intent. And I know even when I say something kind of like snarky, I'm not going to grab any friends on this one. I, I want people to know my intent. And so hopefully you all as listeners learned the way that I learned. So thanks for really, really like schooling me, even in your your noviceness, if you will, because you didn't really get into the the health and the data and all of that. You just kind of broke it down like I can understand it. And, and our listeners should be able to understand it as well. So thanks, Jay. Yeah, that, that's what we do together. You've done it for me dozens of times. And I, I loved a tweet that I found uh, at Royalty on Wheels. My rights as a disabled woman are still human rights and they are not a privilege. Take us into her voice. My rights as a say that again, my rights as a disabled woman are still human rights and not a privilege. Love that. Our Her Voice uh, segment where we amplify women that are making moves. First woman this week is Amy Schneider. Uh, last week, she became the first trans woman and fourth ever contestant to surpass the one million dollar in earnings mark on the show Jeopardy. Uh, and on November 17th, 2021 is when her, her, her run began. I guess that was like her first show. And Amy Schneider said, I don't actually think about being trans all that often. And so when appearing on national television, I wanted to represent that part of my identity accurately as important, but also relatively minor. I also didn't want it to seem as if it was some kind of shameful Secret shout out to Amy Schneider who is collecting several bags. And then we also have Rachel Bulkovic, uh, who is set to become manager of the New York Yankees low A squad. So they're uh, their feeder team, the Tampa Tarpoons. Tampa, <laughs> that, Tampa Tarpoons. That would make her the first female manager in the minor league. It is just one or Bulkovic's latest glass ceiling shattering move following her first as a strength coach and a Yankee sitting coach. And last but not least, Golden Globes, uh, they weren't televised um, this year, but Michaela J. Rodriguez from the show Pose. She's the first trans actress to win a Golden Globe for best actress in a TV drama. So those three women are our Her Voice segment shout outs for this our second episode of season number four and quote for this week one that sits on my heart often right now truly whoever can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities if the god-given understanding of your mind does not resist a demand to believe what is impossible then you will not resist a demand to do wrong to that God-given sense of justice in your heart for the philosopher Voltaire. Voltaire. Joe Madison is on his day number, I believe, 66 or 67 of his hunger strike. Hashtag hunger strike. You can get out on Twitter. You can see some of my posts. But more importantly, you can call your two senators. I don't care if they are Democrat or Republican or other Call your two senators and make sure that they are supporting the Freedom to Vote Act and that they are supporting the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And also real quick, uh, HubSpot is divvying up seven and a half million dollars um, between two black banks 
And one of them is here in Maryland, the Harbor Bank of Maryland, and the other is the M&F Bank. But HubSpot basically is doing what Julie and I talk about often, uh, put some money in a black bank. So they're dropping seven and a half million dollars between the two banks, helping them or putting them in a position where they can reinvest in the communities that they support. Shout out to HubSpot and CFO Kate Buecher. And a uh, name drop this week to the ladies at the HR Wonder Woman podcast who have wrapped up their show with a full three season run. I think we started about the same time um, to Wendy Daly uh, on Twitter at WYNDAL93 and Ann Tompkinson at A N N E T O M K. Follow them for their remarkable wisdom in our world and their commitment to DI and making all things in HR more equitable congrats and, ladies yeah congratulations and pat listen M- mr pat mcafee you got a couple of dough you got some dough cheese over there some of that dough cheese some of that luchi you got some of them greenbacks some of that skrilla you got some of them dollars listen you don't have to give any of them to to to, to jay and i we don't we don't want the money but i would absolutely love if you on your show would give crazy and the king a shout out let folks know that Crazy and the King is doing everything that he can to bring people together around the discussion of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Julie and I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod. Like, send it over to Pat McAfee. Tag him on Twitter. Share the pod. Share your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, and better workplaces for now. Jay and I are ghost. See ya. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.